Well, I just love this time of year, not just because it's getting warmer, and this week looks to be very warm, uh, not just because the grass is getting greener, and not just because I'm looking forward to planting some tomatoes. I love this time of year because we celebrate the resurrection. That's what I love about it. And we've been building up to this Resurrection Sunday with a sermon series called Easter Places. Why places? Well, different places, different spots, different locations uh, have significance for us because they remind us of events which changed or transformed or impacted our lives. Let me give you some examples. So I was, I grew up here in Winona Lake. I've lived most of my life here in Winona Lake. So when I drive around town, I see places that remind me of events that impacted my life. Uh, for example, here is the Winona Lake Hotel. Now, uh, it's now condominiums, but when I was a teenager, it was a hotel with a restaurant. And that's where I got my first real job, washing dishes. And I worked my way up to being a cook, actually. And that was my first foray into kind of independence. You know, I had my own job. And the next one is a view from inside the Morgan Library on Grace College campus. And I drive by this building every single day. And many, many times it reminds me that this is where I met my wife, Mary. She was very studious, and I had a job cleaning toilets. But <laughs> I preferred to talk to people. And so uh, that's where I got to know her. That certainly changed my life. That had a huge impact on my life. And then here, this last one is Kosciuszko Community Hospital, which I think is now called Lutheran Kosciuszko Hospital. And of course, uh, this building always reminds me of the birth of our first child, Taylor. And there's nothing that kind of changes your life like the birth of your first child. Wow. And so that really impacted my life. But as meaningful as all those places are, they pale in comparison. They're nothing in comparison to the Easter places that we've been looking at over the past few weeks. So we went to the upper room where Jesus washed his disciples' feet and called them his friends, inviting them into the mission uh, that God had given him. And we went to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus chose to follow the Father's will rather than his own feelings. And that choice to submit and to obey has made all the difference for you and for me. And then last Sunday, we went to the cross where Jesus, as our high priest, offered himself as the perfect, final, ultimate sacrifice for our sin. I would say that nowhere in the whole wide world are there places more important than these because of the impact, the difference they make in our lives. They change our lives. And today, the place that we're going to think about reminds us of the biggest game-changing event in all of history. We're going to take a look at the empty tomb. That's what we're looking at today. So let me take you back there in your minds, kind of go back to this weekend a couple thousand years ago. And you'll remember that on Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock, after Jesus had suffered excruciating pain on the cross, he, he cried out in a loud voice, breathed his last breath, and died, giving up his spirit. 
A little while later, uh, Roman soldiers came along to ensure that Jesus and the uh, thieves who had been crucified with him were dead, and uh, Jesus they found already dead, but just to make sure, they stuck a spear into his side, and water and blood flowed out. Meanwhile, an influential and wealthy uh, Jewish man named Joseph of Arimathea, who had also become a follower of Jesus Christ, he went to the governor, Pilate, and petitioned for the body of Christ. And uh, Matthew records this. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. So here's a picture of a typical uh, grave like that uh, in Israel. And this big stone would have weighed uh, a couple tons, so as much as 4,000 pounds. And it would have been on a sloped track, which would have meant it would have been easy to roll into place, but really hard to roll back out of place. Now, Joseph of Arimathea wasn't the only person knocking on Pilate's door. Uh, The Jewish leaders also came to Pilate, and they asked for a guard because they remembered that Jesus had predicted that he was going to resurrect from the dead, and they didn't want anybody faking it, faking a resurrection by stealing the body, so they asked for a guard. And again, Matthew records this for us. Take a guard. Pilate answered, go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So the tomb was sealed with the official Roman wax seal of the imperial governor himself. And to break that seal or to deface that seal was considered a high crime. And they stationed in front of the tomb a Roman guard of soldiers. That would have been at least four, but as many as 16 soldiers. And from a human perspective, this was tight security. This was a high level of security. This was the power of Rome. It didn't get any more secure than that. And it looked like it was working. Saturday was quiet. Nothing happened. And then Sunday morning came. Matthew tells us, the earth began to tremble. There was an earthquake because a mighty angel descended from heaven. The guards fell over paralyzed by fear and the angel, boop, so much for security, right? Bam, there goes the stone, you know, no problem. Stone rolled away. And we'll pick up uh, the story in Luke chapter 24. You'll see it on the screen. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, an empty tomb. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly... Two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, they wondered. um, The women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee 
The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. So why is this place, the empty tomb, the place of resurrection, so important? What difference does it make? Why is it the biggest game changer of all time? Well, here are two reasons. The first one is this. The resurrection gives us real, solid hope. It's it's all about hope. That's what we celebrate today. The resurrection that gives us hope. Our world desperately hungers after hope. There is so much despair. There is so much discouragement. There is anxiety and fear all around us. It's what the Bible calls being held in slavery to the fear of death. Our world hungers for hope. And the answer isn't in more technology. The solution isn't more medication. The cure isn't education. Those are all good things. But they aren't the answer. The ultimate answer is hope. We can't live without hope. We need hope. And the resurrection gives us real, solid hope. Now, the English word for hope is not the best vehicle for the biblical idea of hope because the English word for hope connotes uncertainty or um, kind of wishful thinking. I hope we win the game. But that's, that's not the biblical idea of hope. Resurrection hope is certain, confident hope. Biblical hope is certainty in what God has promised. As R.C. Sproul wrote, Hope is not simply a wish. I wish that such and such would take place. Rather, it is that which latches on to the certainty of the promises of the future that God has made. And and the certainty of those future promises, that future hope of resurrection, is rooted in past precedence, in what God has already done. Let me illustrate this with you. And you you can respond, all right? Is it possible to climb Mount Everest five miles straight up? Is it possible? How do you know? Yeah, someone did it. All right. Is it possible to swim the English Channel 20 miles of open water? Is that possible? How do you know? Is it possible to land on the moon? That's 238,000 miles away from here. Is that possible? How do you know that? Yeah, people have done it, right? Hey, is resurrection possible? How do you know that? Jesus did it. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is trying to get at in his famous chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, He writes this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he came back. When he comes back, we will be raised. That's our hope, but it's based in the fact that he went first. He did it. He has done it. He's accomplished it. So our hope isn't uncertain or wishful thinking. 
It's certain. It is sure. It is confident because Jesus did it. That is our confident hope. Of course, it's, it can only dramatically change our life if it actually happened. It needed to actually have happened in space, in time, in history. Only if the resurrection really happened does the resurrection actually make a difference in our reality. So let me just remind you of a couple reasons to believe that the resurrection actually happened. It's a historical fact. It took place in place in time. Now, I could give dozens and dozens of these. I'm just going to give you four. Here they are. Number one, the empty tomb. The empty tomb. No one denies this. The religious leaders at the time didn't go find a body and, and provide a body, a corpse's evidence that the resurrection didn't happen. Instead, they just paid off the soldiers to lie about it because there was no body. No body was ever produced to disprove the resurrection because the tomb was undeniably empty. Number two, all four gospel accounts uh, have women as the first witnesses to the resurrection. Now, if the church were writing historical fiction to legitimize itself, in other words, if the church later on were creating this story, writing this story, they wouldn't have written it that way. They wouldn't have written it that way because in that time, in that culture, the testimony and the witness of women did not account for anything. It wasn't accepted. And so the fact that in all the Gospels, women are the first witnesses, our testimony is testimony to the fact that the early church wasn't creating historical fiction. They were recording what actually happened, historical fact. Number three, reasons to believe that it actually happened in history, the resurrection. Yes, women were the first witnesses, but they weren't the only witnesses, not by a long shot. The Apostle Paul challenges the believers in Corinth, and there was some question about the resurrection. He said, hey, go fact check the resurrection, and here's how you do it. You just go talk to any number of the many witnesses to the resurrection that are still living. This is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. After that, that is after Jesus appeared to Peter and to the rest of the disciples, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So there were many, many, many. It only took three witnesses to establish a fact in that time, and we got over 500. So pretty strong proof of the historical fact of the resurrection. Number four, last one, the changed lives of the disciples. The disciples went from despondent fear to joyful courage. Think about it. Peter, you know, on one night, he denies Jesus three times. The next um, day, he's, he's shaking in fear behind locked doors. And then a couple days later, he's standing up to the Jewish leaders in the temple guard, not worried if they're going to beat him to death or not. What on earth explains that dramatic life change other than the fact of the resurrection Peter saw the resurrected Christ. And that made all the difference for him. In fact, the resurrection was the absolute center of the gospel message that the apostles preached. And almost to a person, they died for that claim that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And no one dies for a known lie. Here's the reality. The church didn't create the resurrection 
the resurrection created the church. And that's why you and I are here today celebrating this fact because it happened in place and time. The resurrection is real. It's the solid bedrock hope of Christianity. Christ did it. Death has been conquered. Resurrection is real. And because of that, we have real solid hope. That's the first point. Here's the second one. We have real solid hope, but it's not just a future hope. It's a future hope that impacts and changes our lives now. It makes a difference now in our lives. The resurrection gives us reason to live with hope now, even when life hurts. And it does hurt. This is important to understand. More than anything else, what we believe about the future impacts how we live today, how how we face and endure the inevitable challenges and difficulties and hurts and pains of life. How we persevere depends completely on what we believe about the future. Hope is a future-oriented thing. Hope uh, draws us with power through the suffering and pain of life. And if our hope is in the resurrection, that is powerful power. What is that hope? Paul writes in Ephesians 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. When you were called one glorious hope for the future. What is that glorious hope? Well, we sang about it in our first song, that we, we, we were made like him and rise like him. This is the glorious hope that Jesus resurrected. He was glorified physically, bodily, uh, into glory. And we can't hardly even begin to imagine it. Imagine that. And here's the truth, that because Jesus was glorified, he was raised physically, uh, we too will resurrect like him and become like him, enter into his glory This is incredible stuff. And this is what Paul described in Ephesians chapter 15. He describes this glorious hope that we have that we will be resurrected like Jesus and made like him. We read this. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. Don't you like secrets? Here's maybe the most wonderful one of all. Let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. That's the glory. That's the hope, the glorious hope that we have. And it draws us through the thick and thin of life. I was just out in... Hagerstown, Maryland, where my wife's family lives, and they had recently sent in lots of old photos and videos and slides to have them digitalized, and it had come back. So we were looking at all these, um, these old pictures from 30 and 40 years ago, right? And, you know, I didn't even recognize myself in some of them. So I'm, I'm looking at this picture of a young Kip, and... And the thought went through my mind. The thought went through my mind. I bet you this has happened to you too. If you could, would you go back? Would you you go back? It'd be nice to have hair again. It'd be nice to be thin again. 
It'd be, it'd be nice to have the same vitality and strength and energy that I had in this picture. If you could, would you go back? And the resounding answer in my head was, no way. <laughs> no way would I do it. Why wouldn't I go back? That's the wrong direction. I'm heading for this glorious hope. I don't want to go backwards away from it. I'm 30, 40 years closer to the glorious hope of being resurrected and be made like Jesus Christ and be with him forever in glory. Why would I want to go backwards? Plus, if I really think about it, there are a lot of hard things in between then and now, and I don't want to do that again. And so, no, the glorious hope pulls us forward. I know that many of you come with burdens and hardships and trials that you're going through, and it's hard. And yet the glorious hope that we have is even greater than those things and helps us in the middle of them. When I think of people who kind of exemplify this hope in the middle of hardship, I think of Terry and Sharon White, uh, who are part of our church family. And here's Terry going to kind of talk about uh, his life and how this hope of resurrection helps now. My name is Terry White. Uh, my wife and I have been a part of Winona Grace Brethren Church since uh, 1960 when we came to Grace College as students. Over my lifetime, I've been primarily a teacher of journalism and a musician and have had opportunity to serve here at the church in a number of different roles. Well, life can, can throw some things at you that are pretty discouraging. In my life, it's been things like losing jobs that I hadn't intended to lose. Actually, I think only one time in my life did I leave a job voluntarily. Every other time, it was because of a budget cut or a reorganization or something, and they said, thank you, we don't need you anymore. For me, those are some of the hardest things to get over. And when I didn't know what I would do next, how I would support my wife and, and family, whether I would have to move and leave my community and my church and, and all of that, those were, those were times when I was tempted to despair. Uh, we had a daughter who died, uh, our house burned down, uh, and then most recently, the last three or four years, I've been dealing with stage four cancer. I take chemo uh, treatments every two weeks and um, I get a CT scan every three months that tells us whether or not the cancer is advancing. And praise the Lord, every CT scan that I've had um, for the last couple of years, those wonderful words are there, no evidence of metastatic spread. And I asked my oncologist the last time uh, I had a CT scan, I said, what is the normal uh, expiration date for this treatment that I'm in and he said well you well outlived the odds he said it's supposed to be 18 months and you're going on two years and so I just look on that as the Lord has blessed me with extra innings all of us have an expiration date it's just that a few of us think we maybe have a little better idea of what our approximately what our expiration date is than those who haven't been diagnosed with a fatal illness but the, uh, but the answer to how you live um, uh, hopefully and how you live positively rather than being in despair and thinking about dying and all that, I think primarily has to lie in your belief that everything is in God's control. And I've often thought, what would a life be like without any hope if you don't know where you're going and you don't know what's going to happen to you? And th if this life is all there is, that's a pretty discouraging thought. 
But as believers, we have that sure hope that one day when we leave this life, we'll be with him because of his resurrection and because of his sacrifice that provides for us salvation. The ultimate thing that I would say is the most important thing one can do is become a Christ follower and accept for yourself the fact that he died for our sins, he substituted his death for our death because we are dead in our sins and trespasses. We cannot uh, join God because of the sin that separates us from him. But Christ, by his sacrifice, took that sin on himself and enabled us to come at any moment into the presence of a holy God and to be his children and to enjoy eternity with him. And that's a wonderful way to live, looking forward to what's to come, but enjoying in the meantime the blessing of having that great hope that gives us no despair, no uh, sense of abandonment, but only the knowledge that we will be with Christ. And in the meantime, he cares for us and takes care of everything we need as we move through this life. Well, let me witness to it for a moment. I told you about places that remind me of events that changed my life, but I didn't tell you about the most important one. And it's very close. In fact, it's just a house right here on 13th Street. In fact, I can see it from my office window, this place. And why does this place make an impact on my life? Because our family lived there briefly when we first moved to Winnow Lake. I was just a four-year-old. And on Easter Sunday, 1971, I walked from Sunday school across 13th Street to the house. And I asked my mom, how do you ask Jesus into your heart? And she told me the wonderful gospel story of Christ's death in my place for my sin and a faith in him that brings forgiveness and restoration to fellowship with God. And as even a little boy, I understood enough to want that and desire that. And so my mom and I kneeled at the bed and I prayed to trust Jesus Christ as my savior. And that rooted in the truth of the cross and the resurrection has marked and shaped my life like nothing else. And it's given a real solid hope, not just a future hope, glorious hope of being resurrected and being made like Christ, but also hope in the middle of difficulties and challenges of life right now. Today could be the time. This could be the place in history where you connect with what Jesus Christ did for us in history. The empty tomb can fill us with hope, but it only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you've never made that decision, today is a great day for that. I invite you to make that decision. I'd love to talk with you about it. I'll be right here after the service. Sam Yider is here. Pastor Bruce will be down here at the front if anyone wants to talk about that. In that little bulletin that you received, there's a QR code. You can also use that to go to a Connect card uh, and just say you'd like to get together with a pastor. And there's nothing I like to do more than to sit down and open the Bible and look, look, about, look to the person of Jesus Christ with people. That fills me with joy. I'd be delighted to do that. But there's nothing better than that. And, and if you're going through a hard time right now as a believer, I pray that, you, that the hope of the resurrection will lift you. 
so that we can be witnesses, a testimony to the goodness of God, even in the middle of difficult things in our lives. I'm so thankful for the resurrection. It's absolutely the bedrock foundation of life, solid, real hope in a world that's hungry for hope. And so we have reason to praise, reason to worship because of this hope. That's how we want to end today is just to lift our voices again in praise and thanksgiving to the resurrected Savior and Lord. Join with me in singing. <laughs>